Hi, my name is Kevin McDonald, and I'm declaring my independence. Independence from what? Why, negative thoughts and energy, of course. Chief among them, hate, division, and fear. You see, I know that we're all one, and together we can solve any problem, save our planet and each other. Please, join me as we come together as one and choose a better way to be. So now, let's begin with my independence report. Uh, how are you today? I am doing wonderful. How are you doing? Just doing awesome. Thank you very much. It's a beautiful day. Wow, it's cold and wet. Where are you calling from? I am in California, Northern California, in between San Francisco and Sacramento. So it's a pretty nice day out today. <laughs> well, I'm sorry you have to be inside for a whole hour or so, but it, it'll be worth your time. I'm I'm really pretty sure. Let's let's talk about my favorite subject, which is you. Um, um, where did you come from? Where did you get started? Uh, what do you, you've been, you've been a professional speaker for six years or so, and, uh, um, you've been an advocate for, um, for mental health and, and how did, where did you get started? Where's your motivation come from? Well, I got started. I, uh, I've been speaking a while. I kind of started in corporate America with doing presentations and things of that nature, and knowing that I really had a great niche for communication, I just needed to figure out what the topic matter was going to be, hone in on that, make sure I was educated and trained enough to speak in, uh, and in some areas, empower women. So I just started working on kind of my craft and becoming a professional speaker and uh, joined Toastmasters, which was really significant for helping me work on my platform. And then life's experiences, uh, helped to kind of mold me into the empowerment and mental health advocate speaker that I've become. So, well, that's a, that that is awesome, and I, and I think working with uh, women's issues uh, are becoming more and more prevalent, but they still are not as as mainstream or as as talked about as they need to be. Um, and I'm glad that you're out there doing that. Now, when we talk about mental health. Uh, what? How do you how do you frame that? How do you uh, uh, work with mental health? Well, you know, to be very honest with you, probably seven eight years ago, I knew nothing about mental health. Probably wasn't even really interested in mental health. And I married someone who was undiagnosed with severe mental illness. I was later diagnosed after we got married with bipolar disorder, schizophrenia. Surprise! And on top of that, yeah, surprise! You know, uh, happy marriage. Um, and so on top of that had a hit and drug addiction that I didn't know about. Oh, so, <laughs> right, that was my anniversary gift. So <laughs> by, by the time I got out of that marriage, which, which was in a three-year span, I understood that there were a lot of people that were trying to navigate mental illness. I also understood there were a lot of people that had mental illness and were not of accepting of it. And the horrific three years that I just had I wanted to be able to help as many women and men who are caregivers or living with someone with mental illness, but also encourage those who have mental illness to not be held down by the stigma and to get the help that you can have so you can have a productive, healthy life. So that kind of really is my driving force, and it is an absolute passion of mine. Can we talk about, uh, well, <laughs> I have some personal knowledge of this one because uh, my brother had a relationship with somebody who was diagnosed with bipolar and who did not. And it was the oddest experience 
that I was ever part of because one day she could be the queen of wonderful. She was so happy and so, and then the dark side would come out. What is bipolar? And how, it's it's kind of undiagnosed. It's, it's kind of a recent thing, isn't it? No, bipolar has been around for a long time. You probably know it, know it as manic depression. Ah. That's bipolar disorder. So before people knew that that was the literal term for bipolar, um, that would be people that it was said they were manic depressive. And the reason for that is they go in and out of moods from being manic to being now somber and depressed. So, you know, there's different uh, levels of bipolar disorder, but that's the origination of it. Yeah. Oh, that's that's why I had that's why it was kind of new to me, and right. and I I didn't understand the severity of how it can affect uh, a relationship and affect somebody's life and their working life and and everything about it. Yeah, absolutely, and that's the importance of us really understanding and respecting what mental illness is, which is something I totally hadn't before. But when you are in a relationship or you have a family member that is bipolar disorder, it's a chemical imbalance in the brain. And the bipolar disorder can often shift and change your mood. Um, it can take you in and out of reality. And that's what was happening in the relationship that I was in is the, the constant mood changes. Um, and um, oftentimes people who have bipolar disorder can be sexually promiscuous. And um, that was an issue as well that um, we try to navigate. <laughs> Yeah, so that, is, that was one of her issues. Yes. Yeah. And here's the thing, and this is why it's so important to get to education. Without treatment and medication, it's almost very hard to, to manage that. Because if you have a mental imbalance that's telling you that up is down and down is up, you don't know any difference until you get yourself where you have the treatment and the support that you need to and oftentimes it has to be medicated to keep your brain operating in balance properly. So you know that up is up and down is down and there is no differentiation of that. And so that's how it can be really dangerous. Bipolar disorder folks are really more so dangerous to themselves than to anyone else because it's really the harm that they do to themselves. They have a higher rate of contracting HIV because of the promiscuity and the living in and out of reality. I did a lot of those researches because that stuff had directly affected my life. And I needed to understand why I said it was blue outside, he said it was purple, and now he wanted to have an argument, full fight about it. I needed to understand those things because I was pretty sure it was blue. <laughs> well, and, and and just so you just so you know, Susan uh, has uh, chimed in and she's asked, can you imagine living with that being your mom? What oh, would that be like? Yeah. I mean, you know, navigating mental illness and being with someone who doesn't recognize or want to get the treatment. And keep in mind, medication is not Willy Wonka's chocolate, you know, golden ticket. You know, so oftentimes you have to come back and adjust the medication and medication may not work anymore. Or, you know, one situation with my ex, he got on a medication and it took him totally manic within a matter of hours. So you really have to navigate and you really have to care about that person because I can assure you, your life will never be the same while you're, you're in that situation. You will leave looking completely like Phyllis Diller, I'm just saying. Yeah, well, well I'll tell, I have to... 
I tell you, my um, this young lady and my brother were together, and he told me the story of how he was at her house, and he was at her house for a couple of days, and then she got really, really mad. He didn't even know why she was mad. She just got really, really mad and threw, threw him out. Uh-huh. And next day, she showed up at his house with a, a, uh, a casserole of spaghetti and no clothes on. Uh, yeah. So I, I, it, she was sending the poor boy all kinds of signals, either the negative signals and the positive signals, and and he had no experience with with yeah. uh, with uh, just like you didn't. It, it took you a while to figure out what the yeah, hell. Yeah, there's some issues here. Yeah. Yeah. And it and it it takes a while to really navigate and to really understand and. The, the sad thing about it is that we really have to understand um, of those who love or care or have someone with mental illness is that they oftentimes can't control that. She probably would not have been able to control that. For him, he might have thought, oh, my God, like I thought, I didn't handle it well. Because at first, all I thought is you're destroying my life. I had a really regular life. I didn't have all of this confusion and drama. And now... I have ascended into the bowels of hell and I didn't understand why, but I started to later, once I got educated, understand that that was, that was his life. He was unmanaged. His mental illness was unmanaged. He, he really couldn't do very much about a lot of that if he didn't stay on medication and didn't follow a plan that's hard for some of them to do. Did you ever follow up uh, later on after the divorce and stuff? Has he recovered or is he still going through that or is he still with us? You know, had we had an amicable divorce um, where it wasn't a lot of uh, angst and trepidation, I might have um, followed through to make sure. He's contacted me several times since I don't engage in conversation. He ended up bringing a woman into the relationship. And because of the unmanaged bipolar disorder, there was a lot of aggression. We had a lot of violence in our marriage. So at this point, I have really no interest if he's, you know, I'll leave it at that. I know I, I, I get it. Uh, my brother got burned so many times that he 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 got really wary of her, and so he wouldn't take any of her calls. And, yes. and what she would do is she would go through, she would leave him, and then go to another relationship or two or three until she was done. And then when when those dried up, then she mm-hmm. would come back to him because he was the only one that would talk to her. At, yeah. at a certain yeah, they soon realize who they can, by people within uh, unmanaged and undiagnosed bipolar disorder or untreated, right? They hop in and out of relationships because they're trying to find something that makes them feel good. And so for their mind, it's having a new relation, someone that doesn't know that they have all this stuff going on. The moment the person finds out, it's kind of like a narcissist a little bit. Now they want out because you found them out. So now they go, go find another unsuspecting person. Um, you know, which is uh, how that operates. But they jump in and out of relationships. That's exactly what he did. We were married and he ended up having an affair on me with a woman at the mental health facility who was HIV positive. And so, right, right, right. Yeah. And so, you know, that was that. So after that, even though he's reached out a lot of times and there's, we, there's no conversation for us to have. I did my, my job as a wife and um, as someone that was supporting him and he brought a third party in, so I'm out. <laughs> I, I get it. I, you know, it, may, it makes perfect sense. Well, thank goodness that you were strong enough of a person 
to be able to recognize it and to get away. You also work with domestic violence. And there's a lot of people that are not that strong that are able to get away. Talk about uh, your uh, expertise with domestic violence. Well, the situation dealing with my ex-spouse was a culmination of everything that probably could have been bad. I had never been in any type of domestic violence. I never dealt with men that were disrespectful to women. I grew up with four older brothers that really treated me always with respect and um, raised me to be respectful towards myself. And so being with someone who I found out later abused and beat other women. And so marrying me was just marrying somebody who could help me apparently further along his vices. Um, he never put his hands on me. Let me say that. I always like to be very transparent that I probably was the only one that he never hit. But um, the threats, um, destroying things, destructive um always threats. I've had him try to set me up with the police to get arrested. I actually did get arrested one time. And um, they, of course, you know, immediately, you know, didn't press any charges or anything of that nature. But that's what someone who's, you know, really broken and has a lot of trauma. They're looking to kind of ease it off of them and give it to someone else. I didn't understand I was a victim of domestic violence to probably the umpteenth time the police came to the house. And one of the police officers who was super nice, and he said, listen, you're a victim of domestic violence. He was giving me a pamphlet. I said, I don't need that. I said, he's never put his hands on me. He says, domestic violence is not just physical. It's emotional. It's um, psychological. It's financial. He said, it's sexual. It can be a number of things. He says, but you're dealing with someone who can't help himself, and he's taking that out on you. He says, and you need to make sure you get some help. So once I understood and did research, then I started training and getting certified so that I can know how to support other women and men, because I've had men come to you know, my presentations as well, what it looks like, how it looks, and how to prepare yourself to remove yourself from that situation and how it has nothing to do with you. And for those that are just joining us, Tamari uh, Richardson is our guest, and she is a professional speaker. And I, and I get the... I get the the motivation that you had to become a professional speaker was to help people with uh, their the, the mental health issues and with the domestic violence issues. And now you're right. going around uh, giving seminars and, and talks about the, the these things. I applaud you for following your passion. Oh, that, thank you. If more people did that, um, we would be in a better place than we are today if they would follow their passion because you've got something to share and it's important that people hear it. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I think it's important as well that we all be of service to each other. So definitely. And uh, you've been you've been tell us tell us about your speaking career. Where, where have you been? What have you been doing? Well, let me see. I mean, I have had the privilege of uh, you know traveling and speaking. In COVID, I do a lot of virtual communications, but. Um, I actually get contacted a lot to do domestic violence keynote addresses. Um, I do a lot of speaking conferences. I'm also an influential storyteller. So I also hold workshops where I coach individuals on how to successfully tell their story. Because it's not just about speaking. And I have different arenas that I talk about different things. So even though I have a story that can have you crying and probably rocking in the corner somewhere, 
it does me no good to have my audience detaching from me or overly emotional. So I try to help individuals with the cues to be able to disseminate your message so that you're pulling people in and they're able to take those cues themselves. Um, I have clients in the Dubai that I do communication uh, training with, with public speaking, how to speak in front of the camera, how to feel comfortable communicating and having the confidence. Um, a lot of their women are really coming into, um, and they're being promoted to come into their own and be in front of the camera. So I was hired by one of the uh, organizations out there that really promotes women in the media in uh, the Dubai and in, in areas um, connected. I also do public speaking and debate for uh, young children in middle and high school, teach them the importance of how to communicate and that debating is just a civilized way of arguing. <laughs> so I teach them how to be a good debater. And um, listen, I'm in COVID, but I am never at, um, uh, I, I don't think I have a week where I'm not being requested to speak somewhere or, you know, do something. I, I speak and present for NAMI. So, you know, we do mental health presentations. We've done them for Amazon. We've done them for Google, you know, and I've done the presentations for the Oakland African American Chamber of Commerce. So we've really been out there and I've had the privilege of kind of being out in the forefront and sharing not only my message, but how to support and help other people. So it's been absolutely fantastic. I love it. What were you doing before you were doing this? <laughs> right. Prior to this, well, you know, I come from corporate America. So prior to this, I've worked in corporate America for a long time. I took a break because I also um, uh, deal in real estate a little bit, just my own personal stuff. So I was kind of doing that. It wasn't, I was getting kind of into public speaking a little bit, but it wasn't until I went through what I went through. I started writing my first book. I just finished my third book. Uh, 10 Steps to Becoming a Highly Effective Public Speaker. I wrote that book because I really wanted to support people in publicly speaking and how to be comfortable. I came out the womb talking. But for those who didn't, this is these are some of the steps that will help you do it. And, um, yeah, it's taken off, and it has been magnificent. I mean, I live for it. Absolutely. Now, you can get, pick up your books at Amazon, right? Absolutely. Amazon.com. Uh, my second book is The Power of Why. It's actually a collaboration, and it became an international bestseller. And uh, my third book should be coming out in March, Trusting Someone Else's Heart, which is an in-depth detail of my story um, of how I, not only just dealing with someone that had these issues, but really my personal journey, because I think we all have to take and accept personal responsibility in everything that we do. So how did I walk myself into this? But most importantly, how did I put on my tennis shoes and walk and run out of it? So, <laughs> <laughs> well, and and I, I again, I just have to applaud you. You, you. you know, you're following your passion. You're living the life that you love. And so few people do that in, in reality. Yeah. It, would be, it would be great if more people were to, you know, to do that and follow it. Was there uh, I got I got to ask you, because there had to be a moment when you said to yourself, self. I'm going to go do this. And was there a message that you got from on high? Did an angel come down and tap you on the head with a wand? What? Because there had to be a, a moment in time when you said, you know, I'm going to be a public speaker because I've got something to say and it's important. Um, let me guess. And let me tell you when I absolutely knew that I had to use my big mouth for good, right? <laughs> so <laughs> after I found out that my then husband, now ex-husband, 
was sleeping with the mental health caseworker, case manager at the facility, right? So now he's having good times at the facility with this woman. What did it for me was that I understood that I was now a cautionary tale, right? And I wanted to, I wanted one for people to understand that when you have family members with mental illness and they go into these facilities, you make sure the facilities are about the family structure and the caregiving of this individual, not their personal idea what the caregiving should be, but the complete structure. And I wanted to make sure nobody went through what I went through, even to the point of going and speaking um, at the Senate and making sure people understood that this is a no-no what she did, taking advantage of someone. Now I needed people to understand mental illness is serious. This can destroy your family. And so that was the, okay, so now I have to use my big mouth for good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and you're an author and uh, you have a publicist. And if you were to take this story to your publicist um, and market his fiction, he'd say, no, nah, it's not, it's not plausible. That's not right. Right. So it, it was really pretty amazing that, that all of that, that it is like really, and then on top and then really, and then more. And then oh, it's, right. it, it is awesome that you, first of all, it's awesome that you're still smiling by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and you're, and you've gotten through that. And yeah. I know that when you speak, um, that comes through in how you speak in your body language and, and how you respond to the people in the audience and it gives them hope. And that's, that's what, that's what you do, which is pretty outstanding. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for that. I, you know, I did an interview probably last month and someone, you know, uh, wrote in and they said, gee, I want to be smiling like you. I'm dealing with a similar situation. And I said, so smile then. We often give away all of our power and our control. When this started happening, the first thing I did was I went to therapy because I needed to help someone to help me navigate my emotions. Not because my marriage was ending the end all the time and this was not like this was a great marriage, but because I had done so much to love and to care for someone who didn't have the ability to love and care for me back. But not only that, when you're dealing with also a mental illness that they don't even have the ability to manage on their on them themselves on their own. So I needed to go and get myself back and having someone, you know, commit infidelity in your marriage, that was the biggest problem for me. You know, listen, we could have divorced and ended up as friends. But when you bring another party and I never took it as it was a deficit in me as a woman ever. But what I did understand is is that um People will destroy you. They'll destroy your family. They'll help people destroy you. And that's the nature of, that's not everyone, but that's the nature of some people. I had to manage the betrayal. The betrayal was the thing that could make me bitter, hateful, and angry. And once I really understood that a lot of his actions he had no control over, if I really understood it as a mental health advocate, well, then I can't be angry at him because then I understand what's happening and why it's happening. And his symptoms were very, his behavior was very true to what the symptoms was. So, you know, I don't love, I don't hate him. I don't wish him well, I don't wish him bad. It was a moment in time I've passed by it and I'm just moving on to something else. But I can smile at it because I came out on the other side of it and I'm not angry at anyone about it. It allowed me to come and be able to do something to help other people. So I smile and laugh a lot. I've got a great life, but on top of that, I get to meet a lot of wonderful people and share my story with other individuals and encourage them. So 
I'm, I'm always smiling and laughing in interviews because I'm like the other side. At one point, I was crying all the time. So I, yeah. I was going to ask you, how long did it take you to get out of that, to get over it? Um, it took me a while, and it took me long. It probably didn't take me as long as it could have. When I found out that the woman was sleeping with him at the facility, I sued the facility, and I sued the woman. I didn't sue her because I, I wanted my husband or anything of that nature. I wanted to stop her and the facility from doing what they were allowing her to do. So she couldn't do this to someone else. Because if you're going to go sleep with somebody's husband who's in a mental illness facility, I'm assuming you should probably be in the bed next door to him. Because I, <laughs> there's something wrong significantly with you. So I understood all of that. I could have probably healed sooner. But when you're in a lawsuit, and you're doing depositions, you're reliving that stuff all the time. And it was probably about a year and a half in, and I talked to my dad, and um, he asked me, did I have any peace? And I said, no. He says, listen, you, these people will never allow anything like this ever to happen in their facility. He said, but if you don't have any peace, he said, then all of this is for naught. It doesn't matter. He says, and it's going to drag on because obviously what you've done is heinous and it's egregious. He says, but you have to figure out where do you get your peace. So that's what I did. I allowed myself to move forward and put that behind me. And I only mention it when I'm, when I'm telling the story, but it doesn't affect me. Like, my heart doesn't move. There's no emotion from it. Besides, it's a story that I'm telling you to help you get to where you need to get to, but it doesn't affect me anymore. So. That that is truly awesome because you know a lot of us have got had especially where relationships are concerned have had negative things go on and and it took me I was married for twenty four years and it took me oh, I, I actually I still have to say that in some aspects of it because of how it all went down I'm still angry about mm -hmm. some things of it and with some people that were involved with it but uh, uh, it was it was like it wasn't it wasn't like your situation, but it was like your situation, if that makes mm -hmm. any sense. Yeah. You yeah, know, absolutely. You know, but, but, uh, so I'm glad, I'm glad that you survived it and, uh, you're now going to help other people. Where do you see the future for you? What are you going to do next? I absolutely want to continue doing what I'm doing. Um, I, uh, like I stated before, I do a lot of presenting for NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, uh, presenting and speaking. We, we teach about mental health, the stigmas at work, and how employers can help support their employees who might be struggling and give them a place of support if they have mental illness. Uh, we also, I also speak and present for In Our Own Voices, where we kind of share some of what we went through and how we personally, from being married to that individual, I'd never dealt with certain things before. I now live with anxiety. I now live with PTSD from the behaviors, the conduct, the threatening, the throwing, and all of that type of destruction. Um, and initially, I was battling with depression because of the feelings of betrayal. So we help to encourage people that there are resources out there and that this doesn't have to become your story. Yeah, this is a part of my storyline, but I now control that story. It doesn't control me as it once did. And I'm also a member of the National Coalition of 100 Black Women, the Oakland Barrier Chapter. So we focus on empowering and supporting black women and young girls, and um, I'm affiliated with a couple of other volunteer organizations where we're all about how to support, and I want to make sure that, and I tell people, use me as a cautionary tale. What I didn't do, 
how I didn't vet that person properly. And you make sure you meet the mother, you meet the father, you meet the siblings, you meet the children. That gives you the picture of who you're going to be dealing with. And had I met any of those people, we would not be having this story today here, Kevin. <laughs> I would yeah. not know you. <laughs> well, I'm glad you do because your story is important for people to, to get it out. I did want to ask you, though, yeah. um, I was in, in between. I was doing radio uh, 20 years or so ago, and I had to quit uh, and get a, you know, like a real job. And mm -hmm. so I drove bus. I was a bus driver in Seattle for 11 years and I saw lots of dysfunction, lots of co the, the community dysfunction, especially in the, in the black community. There's a lot of, a lot of dysfunction, a lot of kids, little girls, little girls that were not even 20 years old yet. They were having their own babies. And, and, and it's, it's, it's so heartbreaking because that, kind of cast their life for the foreseeable future when they're not they're just still babies how, how can we help our all of our communities live life more authentically and live life a little bit better and and to, to work together to eliminate some of that stuff that we're all going through um and the the the, the mental illness and all of that how, how, it seems like such a daunting challenge how do we get it done you know, that is a fantastic question. Uh, thank you very much for asking that. And I like where you said this is something that's going on in all communities. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think definitely the spotlight is in some communities. But let me tell you what I tell. Um, I also, uh, one of my presentations that I give is about setting boundaries and why setting boundaries is so important. And again, I use me as a cautionary tale and everything. One of the biggest reasons, two of the biggest reasons that I had to immediately get out of my, my marriage is that I have a daughter and I have a son. And what I understood was I was going to be the example for my daughter of the type of men she was going to get with, how was she was going to, how she was going to act and operate in a relationship, and how she was going to let someone treat her. And that was not okay with me. The man that I had brought into my son's life, and he has a father who's very involved in their father, my first husband, is very involved and very active. He's a great dad. But the man that they're living with is going to be the example of how I treat my mother, my sister, and how I treat other women and talk to other women. And if I allow this man, who's broken, to treat and mistreat me, I am now setting the example. The answer, in my opinion, is that question is that parents have to be better examples for their children because we are a mirror. My daughter emulates everything I do to a team. My son is a mama's boy, and this is what they're going to mirror how they behave. The type of, my son is going to pick up the type of woman and marry the type of woman based off of the type of woman that I am. He tells me all the time, mom, I'm gonna marry a woman just like you. That's a compliment to me. But right. how I operate and raise them and the examples, I don't bring men around them, they see me with two men, their father and their stepfather. How we behave, the conduct that we exhibit in front of our children and the lessons that we're teaching them either verbally or non-verbally, that's where all of that comes from. And sometimes there are exceptions to the rules. I mean, there are some great families and kids still end up getting pregnant or kids still end up in getting drugs. Those often can be peer pressure and part of the signs. But if we're doing our job wholeheartedly as a parent and putting in that time and effort, Less I, see, I see so you know the drug culture 
and and how drugs has affected a uh, an entire generation mm-hmm. i see i see a lot of a lot of children being raised by grandparents mm-hmm. because either mom or dad or or are either gone or they're or they're in prison and stuff and that's and that's all races that that and that's everywhere and it is we and so that's why I really applaud what you're doing because because you know we have got to fix it. we got to fix it or it's going to be just a mess uh, yeah. and, and for the next generation coming up I see I knew that the, the generation that that is that are adults now were the first really were the first daycare generation mm-hmm. they weren't raised by their parents they were raised by a eight dollar an hour daycare worker and and their parents either were invested in alcohol or drugs or and they split up and so they don't have a mom and dad and and stuff it's it's really hard how do how do you in in your frame of reference what can we do as a society to help people um stay together as i i think that our our mental health system is broken Mm -hmm. we don't have enough we don't have enough support for people who need it keep people together and families together i'd be interested in your viewpoint what do you think absolutely one of the biggest problems is mental health um you know you have people that are functioning as if you know there's nothing wrong with life but they're battling with um racing thoughts they're battling with um you know voices talking to them behavioral mood changes it's impossible to have a productive marriage or relationship regardless if you have children in it or not if you have mental illness that's taking you in and out of reality. But that's where it's also important. It also still, for me, in my opinion, it falls back on the responsibility of the parents, especially in my community. I speak on my community because oftentimes um, there is a stigma of mental illness. And, um, you know, but imagine navigating uh, police brutality, social injustice, racism, things that we didn't create, we don't know how to get rid of them because they weren't our creation. That will, any, that will give anyone anxiety and PTSD trying to navigate that. Now you add that on trying to live, trying to make sure you're economically sound, trying to take care of a family and trying to navigate those things. That's one spectrum of it. But then, like anything, you have people that are self-destructive and don't see that the family structure is the, the crux of what you should be holding on to and don't see that you should be creating generational wealth. And don't see that your children will come behind you and be able to hold the family structure down or sink it with the Titanic. You know, those are things that have to be taught and trained. And if you are not taught um, that your job is not to continue procreating the earth without the benefit of having, um, you know, solid relationships and parents, women are having babies with men who are not even boyfriend potential and then they're having, they're getting pregnant. That's That's your responsibility to make sure, but if you're dealing with a man who has mental illness or a woman who has mental illness that's untreated, and you don't know what to look for, what the symptoms are, you think every other person is irrational and, and you know, jumping to the, you just don't know, these things are going to continue until mental illness is like chewing gum. It becomes our norm to understand it and to be trained by it. We're going to continue to have these things because I think a lot of our problems, like you said, is undiagnosed, untreated, and the lack of respect for mental health and mental illness in our community. Oh, I I couldn't agree more, and that's and that's one of the reasons why the tagline of this uh, this podcast is uh, uh, declaring our freedom from, from hate, division, and fear, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of 
there's a lot of hate division and fear because of uh, people not being aware of what they could be doing to help each other. Uh, I, you know, it's interesting. I had, uh, I did a podcast a while ago with, with five 20 year old African-American men. And I did another one with uh, one of their moms and her husband. And uh, they have what I, what I term as a blended family. Um, he's black, she's white, and they're two kids. And uh, um, the, as so I'm, I'm having this conversation with these five young men, and uh, we, the, the subject of police comes up. And uh, so, you know, this is during, right after Mr. Floyd and, and some other uh, heinous things that happened. And, uh, and I said, you know, the difference between you guys and me is, and they said, what? And I said, uh, a while ago, I was driving down a major highway in Seattle, and uh, I got pulled over because I was speeding. I didn't think I was speeding. I thought the speed limit was different there. So I get out of my car and start walking towards the policeman. And, and all these kids are going, no, no, right. you, didn't, you didn't do that, did you? Yeah. And I said, well, well, yeah, I did. And the policeman didn't take out his gun and shoot me. He didn't even, he didn't even think anything of it. And, and what makes me so, it makes my blood boil is this, this um, um, lady that I, that I know. I worked with her in the past. And she has, her son has her number on speed dial. So if he is ever pulled over, she can respond in a moment's notice because of the fear that they have of what potentially could happen. And we have got to get rid of that stigma, that, that, that whole problem, because it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, what do you think? You know, I think um, you've got, good police officers, you've got bad. I actually live in a community surrounded by law enforcement and we all have such a great close relationship. And so I know there are really good law enforcement out there, but here's the problem. The bad are really taking more precedence over any of the good. The reality and our reality is, and I grew up with four older brothers who were stopped for um, driving while black all the time in nice cars or in neighborhoods that they assume that we shouldn't be in, the assumption of continuously wanting to put black people in their place because we don't deserve something because you deemed it. Not realizing, and I think if a lot of you know white people thought about this, they have inherited wealth off of the backs of slaves. So had it not been for you know slavery, they wouldn't have they wouldn't have inherited generational wealth you know, which is why the whole reparations conversation is coming in, because you had a leg up, thanks for stepping on our necks. But I think that there needs to be more um, psychological evaluation for law enforcement. You know, I also think that, um, you know, there should be a way to disarm. I don't understand how when they stop a white person, they're getting shot in the arm and in the leg, and we're automatically a death sentence. You know, we could never, I would, as a black woman, never get out of my car to the, the, what we are, you sit still, you don't even breathe because you don't know what trigger, what finger trigger happy cop is going to come to your door and decide that you breathe too loud. Now it just happened. I actually had an incident um, a couple of months at my, a couple of months ago at my home. And I live in a predominantly white city in a predominantly white area. And the police didn't know who I was. There's no reason for them to know who I was. But someone in the neighborhood must have called them and hung up. 
and an, um, two officers came to my door just at three o'clock in the morning and I'm tired. And um, one is black and one is white. So they came to my door and I'm, I'm in my pajama, my gown, and, and I'm opening the door and I'm, I'm tired. The officer puts the light up to me. And he says, well, someone called from this. I said, no one called. It's just myself and my two children. He says, well, are you sure? I said, yeah, I'm sure. There's no one here. I'm tired, right? Um, he says, could you step outside the door? I told him, no. Why would I step outside the door of my house? No, I can't step outside the door. And he says, well, are you sure? I said, it's not me. Have a good night. Well, what I did the, the next day, I called down to the police department to speak to the chief of police. I told him, I'm not filing a complaint, but I want this to be a learning lesson for you. I don't believe he would have asked a white woman to step outside of her house at three o'clock in the morning in her gown because somebody supposedly came to call you from my house with a distress call. How are you helping me? How is your visit helping me? And he asked me, did I want to file a complaint? I said, I don't want to file a complaint because I think he didn't know proper. But what I want you to understand, this is why there is distrust between police and black Americans. The problem is, when you come to my house, I'm well-informed, I'm well-educated, and I often know a lot of people that'll make a phone call to you. So he should know that don't assume because I'm black that I don't know any better, I know better. And so he said he was gonna to talk to him. That was absolutely not the correct thing to do at three o'clock in the morning. I said he wouldn't have asked a white woman to do it. And I know he wouldn't have. That's what we deal with. I know. On a regular basis. And it is, it is, it angers me because it's not, it's not right. It's mm -hmm. not fair. It's, it's, and we can, we will never, until we get through this, we will never as a society heal and believe that regardless of, you know, it's like the color of our skin. So fucking what, excuse the yeah. expression. It's like, we've, I, I, there's a wise man who once said, judge a man by the content of his heart. Um, I believe that would be Martin Luther King, if I'm not mistaken. And it was, you know, that was one of the more profound statements I've I've heard because it 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 really is it really is true. In content of his character, content of your heart, that's what we should judge people by. Because I know lots and lots of white people who don't have very good character and have got crappy hearts. And that's you know, and we we as a we as a society need to get past that. And that's yeah. why I'm glad the people that you are out there. Um, you're an articulate person. You're smart. You've been through the war. You've come out clean the other side. You're raising two beautiful children. I assume they're a little older now. Are they teenagers? Yeah. Yet? Fifteen and fourteen. Yes. Oh, bless your yes. soul. Straight A students, both of them, honor roll. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, that that is that, that's hard. Uh, teenage years. I, I can't imagine. I th think I now I I was a teenager in the seventies. I can't imagine what these kids are up against now. Uh, the the prevalence of of drugs, pornography, all the all these things that are out there uh, for them that are at the end of your arm because they're connected to your phone. Um, it makes it it makes it really tough on a, yeah. on parents. So I assume that your communication with them is 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 you talking to them all the time and oh, having yeah. absolutely they're. Uh they're very individually astute and very smart. They're doing excellent in school, very well liked by, you know, teachers and so forth. My son is an inspiring engineer. He's a chess player. So 
he's involved with a lot of different um, engineering organizations. He's going to be joining the camp soon. And my daughter's an artist, artist. She draws a lot. She's trying to figure out kind of what she wants to do. But, you know, they will probably be able to go to any college that they want to. But they also understand the limitations. Um, like I said, we live in a predominantly white area. And although um, I want them to be, you know, as sociable and have such a multicultural uh, eclectic group of friends, they also have to understand that there are limitations with us. But those limitations do not stop us and does not prevent us from being as great as possible. So there are no, you know, my mother didn't allow us to have any excuses for not excelling. And I don't give my kids any because we've been shattering glass ceilings and that's what we have to keep on doing. So we can't look at things and say, well, I can't do this because, yeah, you can do it. Just figure out another way how to do it. But um, they're, they're bright kids and I, I keep them up. They're not on social media. I try to prevent bringing any forces into their world that's going to take away from them being as great as I know they are going to be. So, listen, I dealt with a drug addict with mental illness, so anything after that is butter. <laughs> well, so, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> so, so when is your book about parenting coming out? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That might be my fifth book. I'm working on my fourth one now, but that might be a fifth, my fifth book. Because they're doing good, they're great kids, and so yeah, maybe. <laughs> now, tell me about the book that you you've written. I think it just got published. That that is the group of uh, women together. Is that the one that just? Go that ahead. was my second book, uh, "The Power of Why." It was a collaboration of twenty-two women, and we're sharing um, how we got into doing business and how, and why we started doing online courses, uh, online workshops and how uh, successful or not that's been and things that we've learned. So I wrote in my chapter about being uh, an influential storyteller and where that came from. So I give only snippets and not even go into the depth of this situation, but how to tell different stories, how to draw them in, and then kind of even more in depth of how to do the workshop, what it looks like. So we're encouraging women to be entrepreneurs and to step out, out of yourself. You know, one of my presentations is redefining yourself. We're not, I'm a mother, but that's not the crux of who I am. You know, I'm more than just a mother. I was more than someone's wife. I have my own hopes and dreams. And when your kids get grown, what are you going to do? Shoulda, woulda, coulda? No, I'm going to do all of that while they're growing so they can have me as an example that you don't give up and that you continue to rise as close to the top as possible and, and go over it if you can. Bless your soul. That is that I I couldn't. That's 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 wonderful. So you need to keep out there and keep yes. keep 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 on keeping on because it, it's it really is important. I do have to say, uh, and I was just thinking about this while we were we were talking. I am talking talking about the teenagers and the younger generation. There is a shift happening because those kids. I see them a lot more inclusive mm -hmm. than older people are. They yeah. don't consider i was listening i was driving my bus one day a lot of the stories come from driving my bus one day and there were like three girls that were sitting near the front and uh, i didn't even look at the i didn't i have no idea who they were and they but they were talking about boys and uh, one said to the other one um he's cute what is he and she said well he's Filipino and he's I think African American and he's Spanish and that's a nice combination. I bet you he's got great skin. It's like mm -hmm. it's right. like it, it's different now. And I and that's that's why I was telling my ninety year old mother that that's why people get old and die 
so mm-hmm. that the generation can come up and they can be more inclusive and they can and that we can leap forward um, to the next level. And that's that's is so important that we do that. But then there's some old folks like me that need to hang around and like you that need to hang around and to help people and to, and to pre- pre- present something positive that people can look at. And you are the epitome of what I do on this podcast. And I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This was fantastic. And I, I think any time that I can share what I know and, and how I know it and support women and men and families, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's become, I, I didn't believe when people would say, oh, it's my calling. I'd be like, hmm, it kind of sounds like kind of Twilight Zone-ish. But I kind of really believe that this is kind of what I was intended to do. And um, I enjoy doing it. I've been able to support and help so many people. So it, I go to sleep every night with a smile on my face knowing that I'm doing something with purpose, yeah. And you know the cool thing about what you're doing is that there are people that you've impacted in a positive way and you'll never hear their story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You will never know who they are or, or how you impacted them, but they're going to remember when they came to listen to you speak and that will have life-changing consequences for them in a That's positive right. That's so, right. That's really good. Let's get let's get make sure your information is out there so that everybody can go away. Your website is again www.tleanspeaks.com. That's T L E A N N E speaks.com. Okay. And um and, and also they can always Google me Tamori Richardson, T A M U R I Richardson. And I'm on Facebook under T Leanne Speaking Pros LLC and LinkedIn as well. And um is all my contact information. And, you know, also, too, I get sometimes people will send me a messenger um, telling me their story and, and me offering them support. Um, also, if you go on my Facebook page, the first Friday of every month, we have a Black Minds Matter support group through NAMI, um, where it's specifically for black folks. And we just support each other and, and lend out resources that we each, you know, that that's needed to make sure that everyone's getting the care they need right down to you know, uh, making sure they can get the medical that they need for the area that they're in. So, yeah. And uh, I just had a uh, listener say you're a phenomenal woman. Thank you so much. Thank you. And and it's it's important. Now, before we go, I always like to give you an opportunity or give my guests an opportunity to the, the floor is yours, my dear, to say to our audience now and who will listen to you in the future, anything that you'd like to say. Absolutely. You know, I think it is so important to make sure that you are being deliberately you in whatever and anything and not to allow yourself to be put in a box. We're often put into a box and we don't know how to get out of it. But anyone that is not supporting you on a new journey, a new adventure, something that's going to to um, better uplift you, then you have to look at what type of box that they're putting you in. And uh, a physical box, has four walls, uh, a metaphoric box is mentally, and it's in your mind. And it's how you knock that out and make sure that you have people around that are supporting you to be the best you at all times that you can be. You know, so I want to encourage everyone to always be deliberately you. Uh, You are more than a label and to go after every hope and dream that you have. You never know who you might be affecting. So, everyone. That, I wish I had said that. That's beautiful. 
<laughs> I want to. I want to thank you again, Tamari uh, Richardson has been our guest. And go to Amazon, pick up her books. There's three of them out there. And uh, I assume that if you just go to Amazon and and type in Richardson, your name will or the books will come up. Type, yep. Go to Amazon.com. Go to books and type in Tamari Richardson, and they'll come up. Or even if you uh, Google me, they'll pop up. There are many bookstores. They'll pop up either way. <laughs> you know, if, if somebody wants to use i know i know how much it costs to put a book together if somebody wants to you know like pay you the full price and and for shipping can you do you do that direct or do you use the amazon on those guys um i do some direct for my first book i do direct shipping but uh the second book is an ebook and my first book also just became an ebook as well for those who like to look at it on a kindle and my third book that's coming out, it'll be both of them. But sometimes I, I do direct. And then I have people that call me that want to, you know, have tips on how to publish a book. So, you know, reach out. I'm, I'm full of resources. And if I can help, I will help. That, I believe, would be book number six. <laughs> right. Help somebody publish a book. And then, and then I've already come up with book number seven for you. Right. You know what that is? What? When as, as people send you messages and through messenger and talk about their situation. Uh, you do have a dialogue with them about their situation and your counsel to help them through their situation. That I think would be a dynamic book. Yeah. We'll have to work on that title though, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not that smart, but I, I don't know what you're doing but I know that it would be good, whatever it was. So uh, Tamari Richardson has been our guest. Go find her books. Go. Uh, uh, she's got an online presence and it's going to continue to grow as we go through COVID and you do more stuff online. You, I assume you're on YouTube as well. You've I do to- have videos posted on YouTube. Absolutely. So if you look at, you type in Tamari Richardson, um, I have to put all my videos, but I have about four or five videos. Check them out. They're great. They've, uh, they've really, there were different conferences that I was at. So yeah, check them out, please. Awesome. That is just awesome. Thank you for being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I have to, I have to close out, but I'd like you to hang or hang around for just a moment and, and stuff. And for everybody else, I hope that you have a wonderful day. It's uh, I enjoy these talks so much that uh, it's made my day just a little bit better. So I appreciate it. And I hope that you all have a great day as well. Hey, and thanks for listening to this episode all the way to the end. Hey, pretty cool. Hey, don't forget to follow us so you can receive regular updates and new posts. And remember, take care of each other because each other's all we've got. See you next time on My Independence Report.